Welcome to this special edition of Awakened to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are in a great conversation with our friend Jim Leinbach. We are talking about sharing Jesus without fear. How do you engage in personal evangelism? Well, you know, my friends, out of everyone I've ever met, I don't know if anyone models it better than Jim Leinbach. And I'm so glad to share this great conversation with you today. Are you a podcast listener? If so, subscribe to our podcast. It's simply called Awakened to Grace with Chad Roberts. Leave us a five-star review. Share it with a friend. Subscribe today. Well, here is my conversation with Jim Leinbach. Welcome to this special edition of Awakened to Grace. Today we are with our good friend, Jim Leinbach. And Jim has been a business owner for nearly 30 years, has just retired. And you know, my favorite thing about Jim is the way that he does personal evangelism. The Holy Spirit uses him in such wonderful ways. I wanted to invite him into our conversation today. And my hope is those who are listening, who perhaps you think, well, you know, personal evangelism, sharing my faith with others. Oh, I could never do that. Uh, Those types of things. Those are for super Christians. Those are for Navy SEAL elite Christians. No, my friend, the Holy Spirit wants to enable each and every one of us to share Jesus with everyone around us. That's with people that we love and we know, and that's also with complete strangers. And I don't know anyone who models that better than my friend Jim Leinbach. Jim, welcome today. I'm so excited to hear what the Lord's going to have you share with us. Well, thank you. It is exciting. Uh, evangelism is exciting to me. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever chickened out sharing your faith? A lot of us have. I know I have many times. See somebody, think I should share with them, and then not share. So it's, uh, I think it's a normal process, and we just have to, we have to get over it. Just have to accept that, well, I missed that one, and then go after the next one. And so I think so many times... Um, we just uh, find reasons to be fearful about evangelism. I think most people are fearful. I know I was in the beginning. So tell me, how, how did you get into uh, being so intentional about sharing your faith with others? Well, I put myself in what would out of my comfort zone. I did uh, five tours with the Jews for Jesus and worked the streets, uh, other kind of evangelism, and I just kept forcing myself into uh, being out there and, and uh, working at it, uh, training, a lot of training. So, Jim, at the beginning of uh, when we introduced you here, you had mentioned that you used to be afraid of sharing your faith or timid to share your faith. Can you tell us as to why that is, and then how did you get past that? I think there's a, a lot of reasons uh, for the fear. One is just approaching somebody and having the comfort uh, that they won't reject you. Uh, and then uh, not knowing the word well enough or somebody asking a question that I can't answer. Uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons that I have, but those are kind of the big ones. 
So once you got through that, well, actually, first of all, let's get this way. <clears throat> How did you get through that? Oh, it just kept pressing through, um, realizing that uh, uh, I, I have a story later on, and maybe I should share it now, uh, about going to Katrina. Yeah. I think I told you about that. So I was uh, I was the chaplain, had been for quite a while with Bristol Motor Speedway with uh, Raceway Ministries. And uh, when Katrina happened, we, we scheduled to go down there and be a part of that, and um, I was just, I was all excited about it at first, but the closer the day came, the uh, less I wanted to do it. And I was praying about it, trying to get out of it. And uh, I kept praying, and, and God told me to, uh, I told him I wasn't worthy. I didn't know the word well enough. Uh, why would anybody want to listen to me? And uh, God told me that, uh, not to worry about that, that he would take care of it. All I had to do was walk, and so I did. But then before I left, I went back to God again, and I said, it's not really a convenient time. And he said, yeah, not for them either. And so and so I went, and uh, we flew out of uh, uh, the Tri-City airport, airport, flew to Charlotte, and... Uh, but I just uh, had it on me that I had to get started. I had to do my first encounter. I had to find somebody that I could talk to about Jesus. And uh, so I, I get on the airplane from Charlotte to Baton Rouge, and uh, I get, I'm get i in the very last seat in the back of the plane, and there's this beautiful woman sitting there right beside me. And it was like, oh, my goodness, how do I do this? So I got the magazine out, and I was thumbing through the airport magazine, and finally I got my bold enough that I could start a conversation with her. And, and my whole thing is it's not about me and what I'm doing. It's about them. And so I started talking to her and listened to her story, and she was the wife of a New Orleans police officer who had uh, taken his wife and kids out of New Orleans I think I can't. It had to be just before it hit, but any of the officers that left during that time would be brought up on charges later. Um, and so uh, she had, I think, four or five kids, and they hadn't seen their dad, and or she hadn't seen her husband in, in the five weeks, and she was going back for the first time. And they knew that uh, he, he, they weren't sure if he was going to be a police officer or not. Continued to do that, but they were definitely leaving New Orleans. And she just really poured her heart out. Uh, it was really incredible. It was probably 20 minutes of listening to her about her story. And to me, that's the key, is listening to them about their story. Because if you listen to their story, you will find out their need. And uh, so then I was able to pray with her. And that was the uh, beginning uh, of that trip. And that was my first uh, big trip to a disaster. And uh, I tell you, if you could just imagine the biggest flower and then watch it bloom, was that deployment for me? Was it just God just kept opening and doing things that was incredible that I got to be a part of? And it was just so exciting. <laughs> Jim, when I hear your passion for sharing Jesus, then I tell you, it, it stirs my soul to hear uh, the passion that God has given you for this. Every single believer should have this kind of passion to share Jesus with others. So Katrina 
was your first deployment. Uh, Jim, tell us about other deployments that you've done for other national tragedies in our country. So I've done about, I don't know, 20, 25 different uh, deployments. Uh, one of the early ones uh, was uh, Virginia Tech, and uh, a real workplace where God used me uh, was when we first got there, there was about 20, 25 chaplains, and uh, we were praying, and the question was, we're searching for what are we supposed to be doing here? Why are we here? And then, you know, so we have a good good idea of what we're doing. And God just gave me this uh, vision and told me a story uh, about King David and how he, he clocked the giant. And God always talks to me in, I guess, kind of country or hillbilly, so it's not to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I know that when God speaks to me and I'm supposed to, to say it, and, and it was kind of intimidating because I'm with about 20, 25 pastors, and it's like, who am I to tell them, right? But uh, God gave this to me and was why are we there was to help those people clock their giants it's not so much about us but about the people there so uh then uh one of the uh, uh when we went to the memorial they had the chaplains uh, and we always served t- uh, two together they'd have us at each end of the memorial so we could pray with people or, or talk to them or whatever and uh when we first got there, I saw this great big, I don't know, five, six-story block building, and uh, I just had this incredible urge. I wanted to go in there. I have no idea why, but I just wanted to go in there. And uh, so my partner said, oh, I didn't, didn't think we should. And I said, well, okay. Uh, I don't always do well with other people uh, saying stuff like that, but I thought in this situation I probably should listen to him, and so we didn't. And we worked, uh, we worked there for several days, the memorial. And when we weren't working on the memorial, we would walk around the campus and, and talk to people and engage them. And uh, so we'd go to the cafeteria sometimes, and we got to quite a relationship with one of the young men there. He was a, a, a big, big guy, very, very loving guy. And, and uh, I went there one day with my partner to have lunch, and I said to him, I said, well, you know, we're, you're pretty – pretty much tuned into the campus and have an idea of what's going on where's the one place you think we haven't got gone that we really need to go and he said to the administration building and uh, had no no clue where that was at but that was the big building that i uh wanted to go to and uh so we went, we went into the administration building. My partner was still reluctant at first, but then as we walked closer to it, he said, okay, let's do it. And we walked in. The very first door we walked into was the receptionist. And uh, she was very busy on the phone. And just, we just sat down in a couple of chairs and waited for probably 15, 20 minutes till the phones quit ringing. And uh, we, we asked her about her story. And she was probably, it was, she was ne- her building was next door, to the building where the shooting was at, and she could hear the shooting, she could hear the crying of the kids and the screaming, but uh, had no idea what was going on, and nobody had listened to her story. And uh, so we asked her about her story, and she came over and sat down with us, and the phone started to ring, and I said, well, do you need to get that phone? She goes, no, somebody else will get it. And uh, she spent probably 30 minutes with us telling her story, and uh, you just know that by them being able to tell their story, it takes so much off of them that they can actually tell somebody their story. 
And uh, so we got down. Of course, we prayed with her, and we said, uh, well, where do you think we should go? And she said, well, you need to go to the president's office because they've really been under attack verbally, and and, uh, they had guards and stuff getting them in and out of the building, from what I understand. And they they were really in, in a hard time at the office. And so we went to the president's office. Now, he wasn't there, but I don't know. It seemed like there was about 20 people. Uh, in that office at that time. And we started listening to their stories about how Christians had called up and told them that they were getting the wrath of God. And they screamed and yelled at them and, and preached, preached to them and never listened to them once. And we listened to them and got to pray with them. And then we went door by door and uh, knocked on every office door uh, where we thought there was people and offered to pray for them. Some of them, some of them turned us down, but most people, you know, in that situation, their lives are so turned upside down that they really want to hear about God. And so, uh, just we, we went through that whole building. It was so exciting. It's amazing, Jim. One of the things that you were sharing with me in a in a previous conversation, the young man in the cafeteria. Oh yeah. <laughs> One thing that I love about you, Jim, is you're so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, we we cannot. We can't do this on our own, right? Oh, no. Huh? We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Share with our audience, Jim, what the Holy Spirit showed you about this young man. So, as I told in the beginning, was that he was the big man, just a sweet spirit. And I walked in that day, and I said, uh, you know, I just get this vision of a big teddy bear. And he broke down and started crying. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> And uh, he says, that's what my grandma calls me. And he was just so excited wow. uh, about that. So. And that must have just opened his heart. Even oh, more yeah. So. You know, I remember years ago when our church first planted, there was a brother that had come through our area. He, um, you know, he had just relocated here for a very short season, but he began coming to our church. And very similar to you, Jim, he really understood personal evangelism. He really understood the way New Testament ministry ought to go. And so he offered for our young church, oh gosh, we probably had a grand total of nearly 15 people back then. And I'm probably being generous. <laughs> Not probably three or four people. But he said, if you want to minister with me uh, this weekend, come to the church, you know, like whatever, 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, 10 a.m., whatever, and we're going to go to a park. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. So I remember, you know, two, three people came and one of them was my cousin who was very young in his faith, but really growing. And I remember that morning, uh, this brother taught everyone. He said, listen for the Holy Spirit. He said, now, before we go out, we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to orchestrate events today. But I want you to tell me what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. Let's take some time and let's listen for him. And so, you know, they're praying and just listening for the Lord. And my cousin is the most intriguing thing. My cousin said, I, I don't know if this is uh, right or wrong. I don't know if I'm doing this right. You know, he was so nervous. Oh, yeah. And he said, the Lord keeps telling me camouflage. Now, what in the world does camouflage mean? And he was so timid. He was so fearful. And he said, I don't know if that sounds stupid. I don't know if I sound weird, but I keep hearing the word camouflage in my heart. 
And the brother said, all right, we're going to go with it. Camouflage. Let's see what God has. <laughs> <laughs> and he took those believers to the park. Actually, I'll tell you exactly where they went. Right down by my house on Netherland Inn. Oh, yeah. And they went on Netherland Inn that Saturday morning. They came across a young man in his 20s sitting on a park bench wearing camouflage pants. And they sat down and they shared the gospel with him. And God opened his heart that day to the gospel. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That is. That's incredible. One, one of the things I like to do is uh, uh, to engage people. And I think there's two, two things with uh, evangelism. One's to engage. And the other one is you got to have the word. And, and I'm weak on the word, so God always puts a strong word person with me. Uh, I went to the West Virginia coal mine when they had that uh, explosion. And, you know, there was, I don't know, 20 or 30 families that uh, had loved ones in the coal mine. And uh, they called me up and wanted me to go uh, deploy to that. And, of course, I was close by, and I deployed within an hour or two. And uh, I, I told them, I said, and I'm on my way, and they didn't have a partner for me. And I said, well, I, I got to have a partner. I can't do this by myself. And uh, they said, well, don't worry about it. We'll get you somebody. So partway up there, they uh, they called me back and said, well, hey, we got Jim, and he's going to come help you. And he's real strong on the word, but not their words, but mine, he's bashful. And was like, well, th that'll that'll work good. That'll work good. So uh, we got there, and uh, once again, the blossom just opens on the big on the big flower. And, and I met Jim for the first time. And we go down to the uh, to where they. Well, we, first we meet a, a local church pastor who uh, we always find a local church to uh, go under their uh, guidance for the community. And so we met with the pastor, and he says, "Well, I'll try to get you into where the coal mine, where, you know, where the people are at." He didn't know if they could or not. There had been a lot of crazy people doing. Christians doing crazy things, and they had ba basically locked everybody out as far as Christians unless you were actually the pastor of one of the families. And uh, so he said, I'll try to get you in. Well, they had all kind of armed guards, and we had to go through two or three um, guard things, and uh, he got us past that and got us into the to where the families was at. And there would be anywhere from the single uh, uh, wife to families of 25, 30 families, and you know they're uh, so the first night we get there, we're uh, walking through, and we're just kind of checking it out and looking at it, and people are looking at us because we wear blue shirts and, and hats and stuff, so we're, we're identifiable. And we still didn't know if he was going to be able to get in or not to actually minister. And uh, so the pastor pretty soon come and got us, and he says, I want to introduce you to the uh, state police chaplain. And uh, his name was Jim. So my name's Jim, uh, my partner's name's Jim, and the state police chaplain's name Jim. And the pastor took us over there and introduced us to the, to the uh, chaplain. He's, uh, he says, well, thank God you're here. And so all that fear that we had about not being able to get in and serve and everything was just, it was just gone in an instant. And uh, we come back the next day and start working the, the families. And, and uh, I, being a chaplain at the hospital, had worked with a lot of uh, death and stuff like this in, in the past. And, you know, when you get to a family like that, they're just crushed and they're, and they're crying their eyes out and they're, uh, you know, just in a, a real bad state. And and I had the ability to go in, and 15, 20 minutes, I'd warm them up, and I'd actually have them laughing. And then I would introduce Jim, and he would tell his story, and he had such a powerful story. It was just incredible. And uh, he he would tell his story, and, and why he was telling that story, I'd go warm up the next family. And uh, we just went through the whole the whole uh, group like that, and, and uh, it was a really uh, powerful thing. And Jim, 
you know, I, I enjoy your story so much on these big national deployments, but it's not just the big tragedies you go to. What I've noticed in our conversations is that this is just part of the rhythm of your life. Uh, correct me, just a couple of weeks ago, correct me if I'm wrong, did you not go to Asheville just on a weekend just to share Jesus with people on the street? Yeah, we did, and I took uh, two, uh, two guys with me, uh, Bill and Marty, and uh, both of them are real strong in the Word but uh, won't engage. And so uh, I was trying to teach them how to engage, and we went down there and just had a a wonderful time uh, just talking to people on the street. I can sit in the park bench and just have people walk past me, and, and I will engage them and, and uh, find out what's going on. What a gift. That's amazing. So, Jim, as you had mentioned, while you're going through all of this, while you're doing evangelism and your deployments, you're not a pastor or a minister. You own a business. Is that correct during all this? Right. Yeah, we have a um, mechanical contractor. Yeah, so uh, I was able to uh, to do both. Uh, kind of my training style is to, uh, to not do everything myself, but to, uh, delegate stuff. And so when I'm gone, uh, my company, uh, the people that ran it just continued to run it without me. I mean, they'd call me from time to time, but I didn't have to worry about a thing when I was in the field. I just was concerned about what I was doing and how I was doing it, uh, on the evangelism trip. So the, the people I had were great people. And you're doing all of this evangelism work in these deployments without any like formal training on how to evangelize. Is that correct? Well, I've, I've had a lot of training. I started out with uh, just going. And then over the years, I've had a lot of, a lot of training, uh, different 40 hour classes and that kind of stuff. Specifically, um, Jim, you, you've done a great deal of training through the Billy Graham Evangelism oh, Association, right. right? Mm -hmm. And all of these deployments that you're talking about, that was through Billy Graham's organization, correct? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the deployments were, right. Mm -hmm. Tremendous. You know, I think that's so important, Jim, your background, because I think so many Christians think that they have to either be in full-time paid Christian service or they work a secular job. And the right. New Testament does not teach that, does it? Right. I used to think, and for the first 40 years of my life, I thought uh, I went to church once a week for an hour and a half, and that was me serving God. And uh, I did that for 40 years. <laughs> wow. So as a business owner, you, you, you have been a chaplain with our local sheriff's department. Right. Uh-huh. Five years. With our hospitals. Yeah, two hospitals. And with Raceway Ministries. Yes. 13 years with Raceway wow. Ministries. I'm also uh, what they call an ICPC chaplain. I uh, always get the credentials wrong on that. It's International Conference of Police Chaplains. Uh, I'm a chaplain with them, and then uh, International Fellowship of Chaplains. And, of course, I'm licensed and ordained, but uh, I didn't do all that in the beginning. That's been my – oh, NOVA is another one, National Organization of Victims Assistance, which is a federal program. Uh, and then I have SISM classes that I've taken. So uh, I – you know what? Really, the thing that got me started on this was people around me encouraging me. But when nine eleven happened, uh, I went to New York City with the Jews for Jesus and and uh, did street ministry, and uh, I wanted to go back so bad when nine eleven happened. Uh, I almost ran out of the house in my pajamas, uh, wanting to go back so bad. But the Holy Spirit uh, held me back. <laughs> but uh, realizing that uh, I didn't have credentials and they'd send me back. And so uh, I, I just made it a part of my life that I was going to get credentialed wow. to where I could do that. 
you've had so much experience in all of this and you were telling me uh you know you've been to baltimore yep mm-hmm. you've been to ferguson yeah oh yeah you've been to the pulse shooting in orlando uh, orlando yeah uh, yep. it's just so many let me ask you this of all the places that you've deployed where would you say because after all of these tragedies, obviously, we see the fingerprints of Satan. Oh, yeah. Where would you say was the strongest spiritual warfare that you felt it the strong? It's everywhere. But where did you feel it? You felt the darkness. You felt the oppression the strongest. What would you say? You know, really, during this type of thing, people are so uh, reaching out to God that I, I really don't feel that. I mean, the, the community is... Um, just in such tragedy, they're they're so lost that, uh, I mean, they they want mm. they want us to pray with them. They want to know about God. They they really take a take the time when we're working those memorials and stuff. I mean, and it's really sad, and the people are brokenhearted. But uh, it's just a special time. When so yeah, so that has to be so different than you know. You were telling me about going to Asheville a few years ago mm-hmm. during some kind of Halloween. Oh yeah, thing. it was Halloween. Uh huh. And uh, so yeah, it's got to be such a difference. Now that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. It. People have to be far more receptive. Oh yes. to the gospel than going to a festival or going places like oh yeah that. that's di- when you do that that's different that's uh, you're going out into their world into their life so does your strategy change any well it's certainly it's it's certainly a different strategy absolutely because you got to get into uh, get into their life so when we do like uh, uh the halloween the drum fest uh, what was it the drum circle for halloween and and that particular thing that was in Asheville, and uh they actually have a covenant wiccan covenant at the same on Halloween, there was about 250 Ooh. Wiccans and and uh, warlocks and all that, and so it's total. It's totally that's the darkness. Tell tell our audience about the young man that you minister to who had previously been in ministry in Asheville. Yeah, so there was uh, uh, five pastors that we uh, met at the drum circle uh, in Asheville, and uh, they had the big heavy uh, cloaks on and the big hoods and and. Uh, when we talked to them, they said that uh, there was more power in the uh, the devil and the Wiccan and all that than what there was in their church, so they left their church. And uh, I can't remember if we were able to pray with all of them or not, but we tried to. But uh, we prayed with one young man, Episcopalian. He was Episcopalian pastor. His dad was and his grandfather was. And uh, we were able to pray with him. And uh, a local pastor there, we were able to uh, I'm going to say turn him over to him uh, to, for continued care and, and prayer and stuff. And I have no idea. Uh, th- one of the things with what I do is we never know the end results. All I know is uh, I went and served, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, God's going to use that. That's right. So That's I, I, right. Don't, I don't worry about it. I just go and, and speak into their lives. So When I think about my own life and I think about my own fears of sharing Jesus, especially with strangers, especially with people that I've never met before. You know, there's a lot of things that come to my mind. You know, what if they ask me uh, questions that I just simply don't know the answer to? What if they uh, just flat reject me? Um, you know, I think I think the average Christ follower, I think we feel fear. I think we feel hesitancy. And when I... W- you know, when I think about the New Testament and I think about the way that the Apostle Paul 
shared the gospel with others. Uh, the success of it did not depend upon him, did it? No. It depended on the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. You know, uh, when we studied the book of Acts, we spent two years going verse by verse through the book of Acts with our church. And I was stunned at the difference between Paul sharing the gospel with Lydia on the riverbank and Paul sharing the gospel before King Agrippa. <laughs> and you remember what King Agrippa said? You've almost persuaded me. And I remember studying those two accounts and thinking, did Paul do a better job with Lydia <laughs> and not as good of a job with King Agrippa? No. What was the entire difference? The Bible says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart. There you go. Absolutely. Isn't that where the success is? That, what would you say, Jim, to a Christian who feels the pressure? Oh, I have to have all the answers or I have to say the right things. What would you say to them? Well, it's uh, one, one of the things when I do uh, evangelism is uh, I'm kind of in control because I ask the questions and I can guide the conversation to where I want it to go. Uh, and I think sometimes uh, people out there in the world uh, know enough about the uh, word that they'll uh, throw Christianese at you and, and, and kind of get you sideways. But uh, if we don't go down that path, we don't let them do that. We just keep going back to what's our vision. We want to talk to them about Jesus and, uh, and, and just engage them. One of the things I do, and you've probably heard people say, uh, oh, golly, they just shoved Jesus down my throat. And I think when people say that, it means that, we didn't stop and talk to them long enough and listen to their story. And so when I engage somebody, I always look for uh, something that I can get, engage them about that nose ring, uh, green and purple hair, uh, their clothes, their shoes, uh, wh whatever it would be uh, that they would have on. And I, I talked to a young man the other day and, and uh, he had on a blue shirt and he really didn't think it was anything special. Uh, but, but I talked to him about it, and uh, it turns out that that shirt had a real meaning to it. And uh, so I was able to listen to his story. And so when I listen to, to your story, it's called reciprocating. Most people will reciprocate and let you tell their story. So my, my mission is to hear their story. And that's what we did when we went to the Blue Plum Festival the other night. We just went down there and we listened to people's story. And then we were able, uh, normally they'll tell you where they're hurting, and when you know that, then you know how to minister to them. It's fantastic. You know, Jim, one of the things I've noticed, even in our conversation today, I've noticed uh, a big difference in your words and my words. I'll often say sharing Jesus. But do you know what I keep hearing you say? Engaging. What a difference. What a difference between just telling someone and actually engaging with them. Yeah. And I think, I, I, brother, I tell you, I think you're really doing it wonderfully. You know, as you talk, my mind just keeps going through, through the scriptures. What does God use so powerfully through the new Testament? He uses conversations. Mm -hmm. Look at Jesus with the woman at the well. It was a conversation. Wasn't it? Right, yeah. Look at Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. It was a conversation. Uh, again, going back to the book of Acts, you know, I used to picture Paul I used to picture him rolling into a city and preaching to thousands. You're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know what Acts says? It says he would reason with people. You know what that word reason means? Conversation. Conversation. Dialogue. Very few times do we see Paul preaching in the Bible. He had conversations. Ah, that's, Yeah, it's, uh, 
you d- you just find out so much about them when you, when you do the conversation and and uh, uh, I uh, when you approach somebody if you listen to their story uh, you could talk to them about their dog people with their dogs and cats and stuff they just love them or or grandmas with their grandkids I mean you can get somebody wound up real quick just about them and what's going on in their life and like I say then you reciprocate and uh, they'll listen to to what we have to say at that point in time but. Uh, I, I always call it Christians in my life in the past just spewed Jesus out and, and they didn't really find anything about the person they were talking to. So take the time. Engage. Engage. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I'm going to try to change. I'm going to try to change my mindset in that gym. So, so Bill that goes with me that went with me to the blue plum and to Asheville, uh, he's, he's the type that just, he just, the word just rolls out of him. He's continuous. And uh, so uh, we come up with the thing of uh, of uh, when we're out ministering uh, that I would uh, pu- punch him in the shoulder and, and say punch buggy, which that's what your wife did with you. Or no, you did that with your wife, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Funny for a blind man to do yeah. it. <laughs> but uh, so I introduced him to somebody that w- that we were talking to, and and uh, and uh, I, I had done everything that I could do, and Bill, Bill needed to really talk to him, and so uh, I let him go for about 20, 30 minutes, and finally I walked over and I punched him in the arm and said punch buggy but uh it, it was a very good he was a hiker uh, going through the Appalachian Trail and really really needed ministry have you ever had anyone who was confrontational toward you while you've been sharing your faith well sure that that element's out there but it doesn't happen a lot uh one of the things that did happen was in Orlando when the, the, the nightclub shooting was down there and they had a memorial naturally set up and we were working the memorial well they actually had two memorials and uh, I was supposed to fly back out uh, Monday afternoon, and it was Monday morning, and, and they had assigned me a, a first-time chaplain, first time as in deploying uh, with us. And uh, so I, we were standing probably 50 or foot or so from the memorial, and a little lady comes over to me, just looks like the ideal grandma, and uh, she started in on me. And now she wasn't physical, but she was verbally abusive and uh, just yelling at us, well, you know, why are we there? Uh, Franklin hates the homosexual and, and, uh, why, why are you here? And I told her, well, I I love people and that's why I was there. And, uh, I couldn't tell her anything about Franklin. I don't know, you know, I can't speak for him, but I'm there because he sent me and, uh, we, we love, uh, we love people. And, uh, she, she just started in on me and normally, um, when I have a confrontation like that, I, my voice gets real shaky, and you could watch me shake like a leaf. And uh, I just stood there just so calm. And my first-time past, uh, first-time chaplain had walked away, and frankly, I don't blame him. But um, So so she just she just kind of blew up on me and was really going after why we were there and that type of stuff. And she was a, a mother of a homosexual, uh, and uh, she represented 1,400, 1400 Christian mamas that had homosexual kids and uh, I just listened to her and it seemed like about a half hour and uh and w- when she got all done I I said uh, put my hands out and said well, can we pray and my chaplain come back with me and we stood there and we prayed and uh, when we got done praying she kind of cocked her head and she says I guess I'm treating Christians like they treat the homosexual and uh I went golly probably 20 foot towards the memorial and uh Two self-proclaiming homosexuals again attacked me verbally, not not uh, physically, uh, 
and, and it's, it's still the same calmness. It's just the Holy Spirit in me that just kept me calm, and, and uh, I really didn't, uh, I listened to them, and I really didn't, other than pray with, I prayed with them too, and they didn't even know each other, and it was a man and woman, and uh, they didn't know each other, and uh, they ended up getting in an argument, and I just walked away. Oh, goodness. <laughs> The Orlando shooting at the Pulse nightclub had to have been uh, just one of the most difficult uh, oh. tragedies to work. Uh, Jim, how? so tell us a little more about how God began to really burden you for the homosexual community and sharing Christ with them. Was it, was it the Orlando experience? Has it been other experiences that's kind of shaped this, this burden that you have? So one of the things, uh, when, when we worked the Orlando, the, uh, the other memorial was that the, uh, the Sunday before I left, uh, we started about noon at the memorial and went till about 4.30 or 5. And it was almost nonstop praying for people. There was 20, 25 chaplains. And it was almost nonstop praying for people coming through there that was just devastated. And primarily it was the homosexual community, but you know a lot of other people had come in. There was one particular family, uh, there was about, I'm going to guess about 25 of them, and they had shirts on of one of the loved ones that I had lost, and they had sprigs like you would see at a funeral, and they had it really just decorated up beautifully. And and uh, they uh, they got together, and, and uh, they had a ceremony, and, and uh, we I stood there and watched them. And, and one of the things they t- teach us in training is there's, there's always a family member that's the leader of the family. And so we, in a situation like that, we have to find that leader. And so I kind of checked the family out and thought I'd determine who the, the leader was. And I went up and asked her, I said, uh, would it be okay if we prayed with your family? And she was like, oh, would you really? And uh, most of them were from Puerto Rico and couldn't speak English, but some of them were from, from uh, had moved to the States and could speak English. And uh, so we got into a circle, and uh, there was about 35 of us because I, I brought some other chaplains in with us. And one of the chaplains was brand new. It was her first deployment, and uh, she could speak Spanish. And so I asked her to pray for him, and uh, we stood there and held hands. Now, one of the things they teach us in a disaster like this, a shooting, is we can't uh, really close our eyes and, and enter into a prayer that way. We have to scan the community to see what's going on in the community so that we're safe. And uh, and so uh, there we were praying, and she, she prayed in Spanish with them. And uh, what just uh, people all around the community were taking pictures of this huge group of us uh, praying. And uh, it was just really an incredible time uh, of, of getting in that community and kind of understanding that community. It was the same way with Ferguson when I went to Ferguson and Baltimore, getting in that community, uh, this country boy, not just, you know, totally clueless, getting into those communities and, and listening to the people and, and trying to help them uh, follow through. But uh, so then we... Uh, we went to Key West after that, and that was really incredible. We couldn't uh, stay at Key West. Uh, all the motels and stuff were full. Uh, they would fly us in and out of Key West, and it was a huge uh, pride parade. I forget what they called it, but when we went there, uh, it was incredible. The um, uh, just uh, craziness, the uh, homosexual uh, situation there. Uh, of course, it's more than just homosexual. You know, it's LGBTQ plus, and uh, I again never seen anything like this: alcohol and drugs and uh, uh, nakedness. Um, women totally naked. They would put uh, body paint on and stuff, but they would walk down the streets totally naked. And 
I still have this memory of two guys that was well over six foot tall and probably weighed a couple hundred pounds, nice uh, looking uh, men and uh, walking down the uh, road holding hands totally naked. But uh, we went to what I call ground zero, and that's where all the bars was at. And uh, uh, such debauchery and and, uh, people uh, so full of people that they couldn't even uh, couldn't even get them all in the bars. I think there was probably more people outside waiting to get into the bars than than what was in the bars. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, Key West is I think two miles wide and four miles long, and it has something over three hundred bars in it. So what do most people go to there to do is to drink. And uh, so we didn't really minister in that area. There was a lot of uh, loud rock and roll music and stuff going on, but we would do the outskirts of that. And to stand out there on the street and, and stop people and engage them and, and, and talk to them. We got to people from New York and just all over the place uh, in Key West. So it was really a, uh, an unusual time, but an exciting time to, uh, to be there. Uh, and so we went from, um, uh, from Orlando to Key West. And, uh, and then uh, I was actually on, on a vacation, and uh, there was a guy on there, I can't remember his name, but he talked about, that in the homosexual community, that 43% at that time, 43% of them was in the process of committing suicide. And uh, a lot of them was one, and this guy had got back out of it. And uh, he had had a sex change and and was very sad that he'd had the sex change and gone through all that and was advising people uh, not to do that. A really good story was George Carneal, if you want somebody to, to uh, he's on YouTube, it's George Carneal. Uh, and he, he wrote the book uh, from uh, Queer to Christ. And uh, so I just kind of got a passion in the Tri-Cities. Of a lot of people come against the Tri-Pride thing that's going on, and I know there's a group out there, and that's what they feel they're called to do by God, and I certainly don't question what they're doing. But in the meantime, I want to go down there and love the people and uh, tell them about Jesus. And, uh, you know, if they really believe, the homosexual community believes that Christians hate them. And that's very sad to me to think that any group of people would think that Jesus hates them. And so we wear T-shirts down there that uh, says Jesus loves you. And if nothing else, they see that T-shirt that says that on our backs, that uh, they will get the message that uh, Jesus loves them. No matter, you know, he, he loves me and uh, my screwed up life. And so uh, that's really how that goes. And, and so we've I've taken that and really I, I'm really believing that God is leading this because four years ago we started with six of us in Johnson City, King, Kingsport. We did the next year. We had about 25, 30 of us, and then the last two years has been canceled. But uh, I'm right now working with about 300 churches uh, in this area uh, to hopefully encourage people who are not doing evangelism currently. We're offering classes uh, to teach them, uh, sharing Christ without fear and uh, hopefully to get people past our fear uh, like I was in the beginning where I prayed not to go, uh, to get us past it. I think I'm pretty normal in that area. I think that's why most people don't share Christ. It's just that fear, and if we can get past that fear. And this training, um, uh, Matthew Randolph is going to teach. It's uh, Sharing Christ Without Fear by uh, William Fay. And I, I wish I had this training uh, 25, 30 years ago. It's just so incredible. So, Jim, if someone lives, uh, part of our listening audience, those who live in the Tri-Cities region, how could they connect with you? If they wanted to learn how to do one-on-one evangelism, 
if they wanted to be part of the outreaches that you are currently doing, tell the audience how is the best way to connect. So the best way to connect is going to be uh, sharejesusnofear.com. So sharejesusnofear.com. And that's a website. We uh, post on there when we're going to do a street evangelism. We're also going to start a class on kitchen table evangelism for those that just don't want to go into the streets yet. And uh, that'll all be on the website. So sharejesusnofear.com. And uh, they can go on there and uh, we we will do one-on-one training with them. They can go out with me or one of the other guys. Marty's a real word guy and I teach engagement uh, on how to engage people. And I will gladly take you out with me. And and I just did that with a couple of guys a a couple of weeks ago when we went to Asheville. And uh, I was talking to a guy walking down the street and, uh, he was running a beer truck, and I got to find out that he's a Methodist, and the reason that he's, uh, I don't think he's saved, but uh, he talked about his daddy being a pastor and, and all that. He never talked about Jesus, really. But uh, we got to, to talk to him a little bit, and then he booked off on us. So, And I believe those encounters are the Holy Spirit. And uh, um, William Fay says that the average person uh, has to hear the gospel 7.6 times and so my thing is, I just want to be one of the 7.6 times. And uh, once in a while, we're blessed with uh, the point six. We get to the one that's already heard it seven times, and we get to lead him to the Lord. Doesn't the scripture say that some plant and yes. some water, but it's God who gives Absolutely. the increase. Amen. No one comes through the Father except through the Son, not through me. That's right. Through the Son. That's right. Jim, my friend, you've blessed us today. Thank you for such a great conversation Thank you for modeling New Testament personal evangelism so well. I hope more Christians will engage with you. I hope as Scripture promises, he empowers his people to be his witnesses. Amen. Amen. So thank you, Jim, and I hope people connect with you. Go to www.sharejesusnofear.com. Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.